Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. My name is Helen Freer. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Lucia Chatrulovic from Investment Writing, Tim Gagey, Head of FX and Precious Metals Solutions in Geneva, and Sipo Arntzen from Next Generation Research. So let's begin with a roundup of the latest market news provided for us today by Lucia. Over to you, Lucia. Thank you, Helen, and good morning, everyone. Now, looking back to yesterday, U.S. stocks' first surge, driven by data showing that U.S. producer prices unexpectedly slipped for the first time in more than two years. But inflation remains stubbornly high and will likely keep the Fed on an aggressive tightening path. Swaps continue to price in a 50 basis point rate hike by the U.S. Central Bank in September. So, after surging first, U.S. stocks then erased gains on speculation the rally that followed softer-than-expected inflation data went too far. The S&P 500 index edged lower, with six of the 11 sectors finishing the session down, led by healthcare, which tumbled 0.7%. Tech underperformed following a surge that sent the Nasdaq 100 index more than 20% above its June lows. Big names like Tesla and Amazon fell. Treasuries dropped yesterday, sending 30-year yields soaring nearly 16 basis points after an auction of securities drew middling demand despite having cheapened into the bidding deadline. And coming back to the US Federal Reserve, interestingly, the Fed has achieved one of its policy goals in fighting rising prices. Inflation-adjusted US rates have climbed above zero across the curve for the first time since the central bank started tightening this year. Now, leaving the US and taking a look at Asia, Japanese stocks surged today after markets were closed for a holiday yesterday. The Nikkei 225 jumped 2.4%, and Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida today said he will ask his government to come up with ways to address rising fuel and food prices in the country. Inflation in Japan is not as hot as in other countries, but is hovering above the central bank's 2% target. The rest of Asia-Pacific was mixed, with Australian and mainland Chinese shares down and South Korea's and Hong Kong's shares posting gains. And looking at Europe, the low levels of the Rhine River are starting to cause fears that the effects could potentially ripple the economy on the old continent for months. In addition, European power prices rose to fresh records yesterday as a heat wave limits energy supplies and wildfires rage across France. European equity markets closed mixed yesterday and look set for a flat start today. Now, in commodities, oil prices dipped in early trading today amid uncertainty on the demand outlook, based on contrasting views from the OPEC and the International Energy Agency. But benchmark contracts were headed for weekly gains as recession fears eased. Gold prices were flat today, weighed down by an uptick in the Treasury yields and prospects of U.S. interest rate hikes, although broader weakness in the dollar kept gold on track for its fourth weekly gain. And Bitcoin continues to trade around the 24,000 U.S. dollar mark. So what can we expect for the day ahead? We have already received a bunch of data out of the UK, with GDP coming in at minus 0.1% quarter on quarter. 
France and Spain will issue inflation prints this morning, and we will get U.S. import prices and consumer sentiment data later this afternoon. Finally, Russia's second quarter GDP number will show how much international sanctions have hit the country's economy. And that's all from my side. Back to you, Helen. Thank you very much, Lucia. Tim, let's move on to currency markets now. We're looking forward to hearing the latest from your side. So over to you. Good morning. Now, the daily quote on Bloomberg this morning is from Louis Armstrong, who said, if you have to ask what jazz is, you'll never know. I feel like the same might be true of inflation, as nobody seems to have any real idea what it is, where it comes from, and how to measure it, least of all central banks. This week, we had lower CPI and PPI out of the US, as we heard. But should we be saying, well, it is still 8.5% in the US, or not? And what will the Fed make of all this? Well, the Fed do have a slight problem of their own making. Back in June, the Fed hiked by 75 basis points, having very strongly indicated a 50 basis point hike to the market. Okay, the goalpost moved, they said. But what is the point of forward guidance if it is so easily swayed? I actually think the size of the hike was appropriate, but the problem is that the Fed, like most central banks, had previously decided to lower volatility in the market, one of the central bank's obsessions, by signalling their plans far in advance and being very clear. Now, the market knows this forward guidance isn't worth the paper that it isn't written on. And as a result, we see bigger swings in Fed rate expectations on the back of data. This week, expectations for the September decision dropped by almost a full quarter of a percent, one, one hike if you like, off of the data. And I imagine this forecast will swing up and down, taking the dollar with it. For now, we see a somewhat weaker dollar, but in reality, it is still pretty elevated. Eurodollar is struggling to clear 103. Cable is similarly blocked around 122. And for now, I suspect it won't take much to see a stronger dollar again. However, I also think that for clients that have not yet already done so, it is definitely time to think about hedging some dollar exposure, even back into the dreaded euro. Yes, there is political instability in Europe, but the ECB are behind the Fed. And I do still think they will catch up during the second half of this year. I would not completely exit dollar exposure. That doesn't make sense. But it does make sense to hedge, especially if we see any dips back to, say, 102. Even here, honestly, speaking at around 103 on a long-term basis, I think it is sensible to discuss with your clients. be a real shame to find ourselves once again at 110 and have not participated in the move essentially down to parity. Precious metals have seen a nice recovery over the last three or four weeks, with gold crawling its way back up from 1700. For now, it is stuck just below 1800, and I do still think that if we see 1850 or so again, that would be the moment to lighten up on long positions. I know I am always banging on about platinum on this podcast, but once again, I think it is the best metal to be exposed to. And once again, we see that any time you can either buy it directly at or around 900, or indeed do something like a reverse convertible with a strike around there, or accumulator, some way, or seller put, some way of taking exposure to platinum at that sort of level or below, you have to jump on it because every single time it rallies back up. And I think probably from here we can even see a move to or above 1,000. This morning, we had some slightly better than expected UK data, both GDP and industrial production both contracting, but a bit less than expectations, particularly industrial production. Sterling hasn't really reacted, still quite early. Uh, I guess for now it's not uh, sufficient, but it is nice for once to have some goodish news out of my home country. That's all for me for today. So thank you for listening. Happy Friday and back to you, Helen. Thank you very much, Tim. And now, Sipo, good to have you with us this morning as well. You have an update for us on digital assets. Thank you, Helen. And good morning from my side as well. Um, you know, as risk on assets have enjoyed a sort of initial positive lift to sentiment 
following the softer than expected U.S. inflation data, digital assets were no exception to this initial uplift, with many of the leading assets gaining over the last few days. Now, arguably the most top of mind theme for crypto investors at the moment is the upcoming merge event, which will see the Ethereum network transitioning to a proof of stake consensus mechanism, moving away from the energy intensive proof of work mechanism. Now, maybe just to provide some context to the audience, now the Ethereum network has you know, long been the network of choice for developers of decentralized applications, largely due to the sort of first mover advantage in the smart contract space that has seen many developers sticking with the sort of tried and tested infrastructure platform that the network provides. Now, despite the network's dominance, the scalability shortcomings of the energy intensive proof of work consensus mechanism and the high transaction costs have resulted in some developers exploring the possibility of building on emerging infrastructure networks that were both faster and cheaper than Ethereum. Now, in response to this challenge from alternative infrastructure networks, the Ethereum network will next month transition to um, the ex will transition the existing proof of work based blockchain to the proof of stake based blockchain known as the Beacon Chain in an event described as the merge. Now, this highly anticipated transition is due to take place during the course of September, with several merges having taken place in recent months in a test environment to assess whether you know, it's secure and reliable um, being transitioned to the new blockchain. Now this week, the network underwent its third and final merge in a test environment, with the testnet successfully switching to the POS consensus mechanism. Now sentiment towards the Ether token has become incrementally more positive in recent weeks in anticipation of the merge, with the Ether token having gained upwards of 60% over the last one month period. Now, as I mentioned before, you know, the broader crypto market has been registering you know, relatively strong price gains following the better than expected inflation data in the United States. The Ether token has you know, greatly outperformed the broader asset class over the last one week period as well, as you know, greater visibility on the timeline of the merge and the successful tests have really sort of improved the investor mood towards the token. Now, with the Ethereum token having broken through the 1,900 US dollar threshold, it remains to be seen whether the momentum can persist and see the price breaking through the you know, psychologically important um, $2,000 threshold ahead of the merge. Now, you know, how do we interpret this? You know, we think while you know, the data indicates that intra-crypto correlations have remained elevated in recent weeks, so that's the level of co-movement between the nine largest um, crypto tokens, we think these tentative signs of decoupling really reinforce our view that you know, as investor sophistication on the asset class increases, we could see more and more differentiation between crypto assets and their respective value propositions. So you know, we take this initial um, sign of Ethereum decoupling as a sort of potential precedent for what could happen in the future when investors really realize what the different value proposition or real world use cases are of the different crypto assets. That's all from my side. Happy Friday as well. And I hand back to you, Helen. Thank you very much, Sipo. And with that, we conclude today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to our speakers and thank you all for tuning in. I wish you all a great day and a great weekend. And I hope that you'll join us again next week. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.